have been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Here to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence, this is the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome in to another edition. My name is Scott Inman, along with me today, Teresa Arago. Good morning. Good morning. I, we say good morning. You know, we don't know when people listen. It could be afternoon. That's it could true. be night. But just so you know, we but record. It would be awkward to say like good day. Yes. <laughs> Typically, we are in the morning. As it turns out, we're recording early mm-hmm. this week, so it is afternoon. So we see we don't even know what time yes, it is. I, no. <laughs> Get ready for your questions to be answered uh, today. We've got some good ones on the show. Mm-hmm. I will mention with Teresa here uh, the Gen Wealth plug. Uh, offices at Gen Wealth Financial Advisors all over the state of Arkansas. I work in the Little Rock office. We also have offices in Shreveport, Bossier City, uh, in the northwest Louisiana area, El Dorado, Bryant, Hot Springs. Teresa is in Conway. Yes. Yes. Been there for how long has that office been open now? <laughs> Since about a month before COVID hit, 2020. Okay. 2020. So mm-hmm. a little over three years now, three and it closes in on four. Yes. That seems crazy. I always like to schedule an appointment or two with my clients in uh, Conway because I, it's an excuse to go to Mike's place. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> There's some pretty good restaurants in general there. there. Yeah, but that so one's Mike's within walking distance. Mike's is popular, though. Yes. Yes, I like that one. I haven't tried the pasta grill yet. Oh, it's good. Yeah. It's really, really good. I've heard it is really good. So, you know, I hope they're listening, so maybe they'll get in touch with us and work that out. But <laughs> I'm all about the lunch places. Uh, questions today around when is it a good time to work with a financial advisor? About to hire employees in a new business. Taxes in retirement. And also target date funds. So those are the topics today. So let's dive right in. Our first question today is from Darlene and Cersei. And she writes, when does it make sense to work with a financial advisor versus managing investments myself? How should we evaluate a financial advisor? Two-part question there from Darlene. Mm So the making sense part, I think that we could probably say that depends. And I think on what level do you want to work with a financial advisor? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you're just getting started and you just need to get some momentum going, that's one thing. You can, you know, basically just start contributing. If you've got an employer plan, start adding to it. But there are some caveats to that because you and I both have had experiences in the past where we thought we were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then we found out what we were doing wasn't what we expected. Yeah, both of us have not been financial uh, financial advisors for our entire careers. Um, So, Prior to being one, I think it's important to realize on this side of things that we now know that we didn't know what we didn't mm-hmm. know. You didn't even know the questions to ask. I think of a, a time early in my work career when I first was eligible to contribute to my employer-sponsored plan. I had a 401k uh, at KATV uh, at my former employer. And, you know, you're not given any guidance, right? You're, no. you're given the manual, uh, the, not the, the manual, packet. the packet, right? Sign up. And get this back to me by Friday. That's about all of the information you're going to get. And so I was on my own. I enrolled. I knew I knew it was important to save. I knew it was important to invest. But I didn't have any idea what I was investing in. You're left on your own to, to choose those investments if you're not working with a financial advisor. And I chose to, as I looked at that list of 10 to 12 investment options, I saw high yield fund. And I thought to myself, well, I, I want a high yield. Everybody that, wants that, a high yield. That sounds good. And, and, and you go look at the history on it. 
because uh, back when interest rates were good, they, they mm-hmm. probably did pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I was investing in, but I was investing in a fixed income fund, a, a bond fund, high yield bonds, which are typically corporate bonds. And at 20 something years old, Teresa, that was probably not the investment objective I needed to seek. It was most definitely not the investment (laughs) objective you you needed to be seeking. And for me, I didn't know that you could use an IRA, you know, regardless of whether you were eligible for an employer plan, because my previous career, I was a bookkeeper Mm. and we didn't have employer plans. Typically, you're usually going to be 1099 or just a basic W-2 employee. And so for me, I could have gotten a much earlier start on my retirement if I had known that I had access to those, but it just was not part of my education growing up. Yeah. So that's the point here is, is you could value, you could benefit from Mm -hmm. working with a financial advisor, even at an early age, but the, the time spend with a financial advisor, the, the level of the depth, I guess we should say of the relationship might not be that much because you're really just going to need some general guidance. Yes. I think early in your investing career, you really just need a little bit of education. Well, a whole lot of education, Mm -hmm. a little bit of coaching, get you started. And then there's a little bit of a set it and forget it period of time where you're just adding, contributing, executing the things you've discussed where you don't necessarily need to meet regularly. Yeah. But then that dynamic shifts drastically as you approach retirement. Yeah, when you when you begin building wealth uh, and you start to think about how am I going to get this wealth to last me through retirement, we'll call that the pre-retirement years. And we mm-hmm. would define that as five to 10 years away from potentially retiring. You may not know exactly when you're going to plan to retire, but when you're getting into those pre-retirement years, the game changes in all kinds of ways. You're dealing mm-hmm. with sort of uh, all sorts of complexities that you didn't deal with Uh, earlier in life, because earlier, you're just trying to accumulate, right? You're trying to get it in the right type of investments, continue to contribute and build wealth. And then once you have it, what are you building the wealth for? Well, in most cases, you're building it to retire and Mm -hmm. to live on uh, in your post-work years. And we see it time and time again, Teresa, most people come in here in that time span of life because they don't have any idea what that number on their statement really means? Yes, they can have a figure that they've accumulated, but they don't know how to turn that into an income stream. And because the dynamics shift so drastically when you go from accumulating funds to trying to use those for income, it is so critical that you create a clear plan to get you into and through retirement. Yeah, so the retirement income stage, you really need the planning process there. We call it the retirement red zone. The yes. game changes uh, when you get into that five to 10 year time frame away from retirement. Uh, we use the red zone analogy because of football, right? You think mm-hmm. about the football game, the red zone is what? It's inside the 20 yard line. And if you ask any offensive coordinator uh, in football, they will tell you that they call plays differently inside mm-hmm. the 20 than they do between the 20s because you don't have as much field to work with, fewer, uh, less room for error. And that's what we're talking about here in the pre-retirement years, Darlene, if that's you and she doesn't tell us how old she is, but if you're in five to 10 years out from potentially retiring and you need to know how you can make your assets turn into income and last for a lifetime, that's a vital time. Now, we will put some caveats in there as far as we're not saying don't do it before then, Mm -hmm. but I think it is important to identify, Teresa, some major life changes could definitely warrant uh, reaching out and beginning to work with a financial advisor. And even beyond that, before we get into that, if you are one of those people that you're like, I don't know when I want to retire, then your 50s. When you reach your 50s, -hmm. it's time to really start refining what your retirement is going to look like for you. But what are some other triggers? If you just recently got an inheritance or you have one coming very soon, that is something that you're likely going to want to caretake 
very carefully. So that's a good reason to reach out to an advisor. If you're going through the process of either marriage or divorce, adding kids to the family, there are different steps financially that you can take to create a good habit going forward in those moments as well. Yeah, basically, you need to reach out and get help making major financial decisions. Mm -hmm. And those financial decisions can be triggered by some of the things that we talked about there. But I think it's interesting the way you look at Darlene's question too, Teresa. Mm -hmm. She's asking if it makes sense to work with a financial advisor versus managing investments. So that's the dynamic she's putting those two up against. And we really didn't talk too much about the managing investments part Mm -hmm. here. There are all kinds of reasons and times that it makes sense to work with a financial advisor that don't revolve around investments. And I think that's a miss kind of misnomer out there about what we do. I think a lot of people, when they're coming to meet with a financial advisor, they're purely expecting investments. What they don't realize is a good financial advisor is looking at the bigger picture and protecting your wealth overall. There are a lot of things that we guide our clients to that we make zero money off of, but it's what's in their best interest to make sure they're protected. You know, our our mission statement says we help people to discover it and protect their financial independence. It's both, they work together. Because I can create the best plan in the whole wide world, but if I'm not protecting you as well, something's going to come in and blow it up. Yeah. So the second part of the question, how should we evaluate a financial advisor? So these are the interview questions you need to take with you, right? You can Google mm-hmm. that and you can see that online. Some of those are really good questions. Some I think they needed a, need a little bit of uh, perspective on when you look at that. But yeah, you need to bring your li- any question you want to ask, first of all, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the first part, evaluating a financial advisor. Think about what you're trying to get out of the relationship. What do you want uh, out of that relationship? But just general things. Are, are they educating and coaching you? We, we believe the heart of a teacher is vital uh, to this, and we, that's why we do this show. I mean, you, know, mm-hmm. you talk about not making any money off of some of the things that, services we provide our clients. We pay to put this show on the radio, yes. right? So we're doing this as an outreach to you. We want to uh, give people some free information that they can use to better their financial lives, and that continues when we go into a client meeting room as well. And I think that'd be the first thing that I would say if you walk into a Uh, a a meeting room at a financial services firm and they just jump right into what they're going to do for you Mm -hmm. and it starts to feel a little salesy I think that's the time that you realize you're you're probably not in the right spot I think if I walked into my doctor's office and he immediately started trying to sell me medications before he's taken time to diagnose me that would be a huge red flag Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people that when they walk into a financial advisor's office they're asked how much do you have let me tell you what I can do for you yep And to me, that is putting the cart before the horse. And another thing that I hear from a lot of people that you could kind of take from us is, are they speaking a language you understand? Every industry has their own jargon. Ours is no no differentiator in that particular space. (laughs) But we work very hard to communicate in a way that our clients feel empowered, not like we've been trying to just show how smart we are. Yeah. I think uh, looking for a place that plans um, mm-hmm. is vital there. We we are planners first. I say that all the time to my clients. We don't talk about investments in the first appointment unless uh, someone just has a question about a type of investment. We're certainly an open book, but the point is we want to let the plan lead. The plan needs to determine what the investment strategy is. And we talked a little bit about that. I'm, I'm you don't need a high yield fund in your 20s, right? <laughs> yeah. We don't have a one size fits all approach. And that kind of brings up another part of that. You should be asking an advisor you're potentially uh, going to work with what type of licenses they have. Yes, because I think of it like a toolkit. If I were to walk up to or to hire a handyman and all he's got a hammer, 
then I better need something nailed because it's the only tool he has. Our licensing determines what tools we can apply to the planning process to be able to get you where you need to go. So if they're not fully licensed, it's going to create some boundaries and it may also be who they work with. There are some broker dealers out there that have very limited products. So even if they have the full licensing, do they have access to the products that are going to get you where you need to go once you've created your plan? So you want to work with somebody that has the full toolbox behind them, right? You yes. Can, you can pull out the wrench for the right job or the hammer for the right job. You don't want to have to fit the wrong tool to the wrong job. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of that, and you could also have said this first, is the fiduciary aspect of it. We're mm-hmm. fiduciaries at Genwell Financial Advisors, and that's a word that gets kicked around. It's, you know, mm-hmm. the high, it's a new buzzword. High dollar word. But mm-hmm. what does it really mean? And it really means we are pledging to act in the client's best interest. And the key there is we have a legal obligation to act in our client's best interest. And what's interesting, if you study that word, it's not like there's a specific designation we go through to do that. It's how we choose to behave. So just because someone says they're a fiduciary does not mean that they're behaving as a fiduciary. So be careful of just seeing that word and assuming that's what you're getting. Another thing we've seen a lot in our industry is this race to the bottom when it comes to fees. Yep. You know, you see all this uh, when people are talking about what to interview your advisor about. They're saying, well, what are the fees? What are the fees? And fees are not necessarily a bad thing. I did not come to work today on a bike, which would be the most cost effective way for me to travel Mm -hmm. because there is value in the vehicle that I have chosen. So we don't see fees as necessarily a bad thing as long as you're getting the value that you need out of the product that you're using or the advisor that you're using. And don't just compare the fee to the other person's fee. We Mm -hmm. would would certainly encourage you to interview multiple advisors. I do think you can probably interview too many. Um, I have. (laughs) You can get analysis paralysis if you're not careful. I've had some people come in and they said, you're one of five, six. Like, I think, you know, you're not going to remember. By the time you get to the Mm -hmm. fifth or sixth one, you're not even going to remember what the first guy said. Hopefully we were in the last half of that, if that's the case. (laughs) Exactly. So I think three is is understandable, two or three. You know, you don't always have to do that if you feel Mm -hmm. comfortable with the first one. But, but I wouldn't, comp- if you did interview three, I would not compare the fees and that be my only comparison because yes. I would determine what am I really getting based on that interview with the financial advisor for that? Because if it's just investment management, well, you would expect the fee to be lower there than mm-hmm. it would be where you're going to get everything, where you're going to get holistic planning. So I think it needs to be an apples to apples comparison always when it comes to fees. Too. And understand that some advisors will say that you're paying for planning, but what does that mean? Yeah. What is planning to them? Because I had someone come in just the other day, they were being expected to pay a certain amount per year for planning, had not received a single planning document in the last year. Okay. So yeah. what was the planning? Right. So I hope that helped, Darlene. Uh, I hope you it maybe spurs you to at least explore the opportunity to work with a financial advisor. And we thank you for the question. If you have a question for the Get Ready for the Future show, it's easy to get it to us. We give you all kinds of avenues to do that. You can call or text to the number 501-381-5228. I've urged you on this show to put that number in your contacts because if you listen to this show regularly, that is the path to get to us in many, many different ways. You can leave a voicemail to that number. You can text your question to that number, 501-381-5228, to hear your questions answered on the air. You can also send us an email. Just send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Next up on the show, it is Taylor from Little Rock. And Taylor writes, I am about to hire my first few employees for my business. What are the best low-cost benefits I can offer employees to incentivize and reward them? Taylor, thanks for the question. I think the first clarification point for us would be, what is your goal? In other words, what are you trying to incent? And how do you want to reward? I think when you say benefits, that can run the gamut 
uh, from uh, health insurance benefits, life insurance benefits. But we're going to take the financial piece of that because we're financial advisors. And certainly if you're trying to incent certain behavior, i.e. productivity at work, I don't think there's anything better you could do than to offer your employees an opportunity to invest for their future. Because mm-hmm. study after study will tell us, Teresa, that workers are happier yes. and more productive when they have their financial life in order. Yes, we've seen the studies before, and we've even had conversations with employers about going in and doing workshops because when you realize how much time employees spend worrying about their financial future, helping them in some aspect of that really makes a lot of sense. And Mm -hmm. as a small business, you do have the option of utilizing what's called a simple IRA. Think of it like the 401k for the small employer. Um, And that's what we have at GenWealth Mm -hmm. is we have a simple IRA. What's great about it for the employee is that they have the option of deferring up to 15500 of their own pay into the plan. And there's extra. If they're over 50, they can put in an additional 3500 So the employee can put in that much. The employer matches up to 3%. So if the employee chooses not to put in or puts in less than 3%, that will limit your expenses, the employer. But at most, if you were trying to plan for this, you could imagine 3% of your payroll is what you would need to allocate to go towards your portion of that as the employer. Yeah, so he, he, I say he, I'm not sure Taylor is he or she, that's a name that can go both ways. Mm -hmm. But Taylor says that they're looking for low cost benefits and there's very little cost other than that match, but you're also going to get a tax benefit. Yes, so when you're making the match that you, you get to write it off. Right. So it's not, you know, you take it and put it against your profits for the year and that helps lower your taxable income as the employer and as the employer, you get the opportunity to put into that plan too. So it helps you work towards your goals. I know a lot of small business owners struggle to prioritize their own savings. And so this would be a great way for you to prioritize your own savings and let your business work for you as well. Yeah. And it is worth mentioning too, that the employee gets the tax deduction as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it never, well, it's not a tax deduction because it's not considered taxable income. They get to tax deferred. It's pre-tax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pre-tax contributions of up to the $15,500 and if you're over 50, uh, like I am, you get that catch-up of $3,500. So you can max out not quite as much as a traditional 401k, but it's so easy to set up, too. There's just some uh, some paperwork to set up the whole plan. They are typically going to be uh, what's called self-directed. It's a simple mm-hmm. IRA that can eventually, if the employee leaves, uh, can just be an IRA, right, too. So it's a great investment tool for the employee, a great way to help them meet their financial goals, and it does have benefits for the employer. And, you know, we mentioned the 401k. I think we should do a little bit of a comparison here too. Mm -hmm. Uh, 401k is a great tool too, but they are typically used for larger companies who are trying to uh, get way more participation than someone who's about to start uh, hiring their very first uh, employees for their business. The simple is set up for a small business of 100 employees or less. uh, And that's by rule, right? If you go over 100 employees, you you can't do that anymore. The 401k, the reason you wouldn't want to start there uh, is is typically the cost, but also there are a lot uh, more bells and whistles, we'll say, or red tape, if you want to call it yes. that. There's a lot more reporting that has to go on with it. Yes. So there are regulatory requirements that go along with a 401k, but let's even talk about the startup cost. The typical startup cost for a 401k for an employer is going to be a thousand, somewhere in that range. And then there's annual fees as well. Plus you have to help with some of the expense of the investments that you choose, which is why there's usually a, a very strict set of investments that you can use in the plan. Whereas with a simple IRA, it's usually like $30 to $50 to set it up. And then that's the extent of the employer's cost other than the match. 
the employees pay for any investment costs that go into that plan, but they also get a lot more freedom. So, you know, in our case, we usually pick a fund family. So you think there's Franklin Templeton, MFS, American Funds. You pick a family and then the employee has access to every fund that family offers. Mm -hmm. So it allows them to have a lot of freedom to choose what investments they're going to use with the help of their financial advisor. And that was the final point before we move on I wanted to talk about is I think if you're going to do a simple over a 401k, you're going to definitely want to get the help of a financial advisor. We do that all the time. We have lots of Mm -hmm. small businesses that have simple IRA plans. We can set it up, work with your uh, payroll department, whoever HR is or whoever does the payroll so that those contributions are directed straight into those simple IRAs. And then we can work with your employees. In in the case of uh, here in Little Rock, that w- the uh, few employers that we work with, we actually go in occasionally every quarter for sign up and also mm-hmm. provide a little education. So yes. not only can you back to our first question, right? I mean, not only can you give them the path to improving their financial lives. You can give them the access to a financial advisor mm-hmm. uh, so that they can help get help with their investment strategy. All right. Well, we thank you, Taylor, for that question. And we're moving on to our next one. It's John, and he writes to us on our YouTube channel. And this is a two-parter, by the way. John wrote a part of this. We kind of uh, made a comment on it, told him we were going to maybe use it on the radio and podcast, uh, Get Ready for the Future show. And then he came back with another one. So we're going to have a two-parter. So stay with us on this one. When I'm ready to retire, I heard a rumor that if I have enough savings to live on for a couple of years and lessen my hours substantially, putting me in a different tax bracket. When I retire and pull out my 401k, it will be taxed in my new tax bracket. All right, that's the first part. Second part, to piggyback on that, supplemental money like profit, dividends, T-bills, or rental income is applied as income as well. Trying to plan for later down the road since I get taxed a lot right now. John, thanks very much. Before we get too deep into this, I do want to clarify one thing, and I don't know what John's intention was, but he said when I pull out of my 401k at retirement, you don't have to just like liquidate your 401k when you retire. You can transfer it to an IRA instead. That way it protects the tax status. So you're not paying for that. There, there have been a number of people that have over the years thought they had to just liquidate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. You can transfer it to an IRA and then create an income stream from it. So I wanted to throw that out there before we got too far into it. Yeah. And we do also want to throw out to John, which we told him this on YouTube too. We're not uh, CPAs and we are not giving you tax advice. We can just talk about the general rules mm-hmm. uh, of taxes when it comes to retirement income. And that's what John's really talking about. All of that very complicated, uh, a lot of things go in there for John, but it is all about retirement income and how it's going to get taxed. And that is very important. He should be focused on that. Uh, one of the things I would say first, though, is it's not a rumor. He is correct in the sense that if you assume that your savings that you're going to live on are coming out of your bank account, which means you've deposited them, deposited the savings there after they have been taxed through your payroll, right? Okay, mm-hmm. that's the assumption I'm going to make is you're using cash savings to live on for a couple of years, and you're going to reduce your hours. So if you did an apples to apples comparison, let's say you make $100,000 a year, and right now uh, you're making all of that from employment income, and you're talking about reducing to, let's say, $40,000 from employment, but you're going to replace your your uh, the other, the other $60,000 with bank savings, then yes, you only have $40,000 of taxable income, of earned income for that tax year, as opposed to the 100 you had the year before. So it could make a difference in your tax bracket. And then if you're going to add in 401k, that is going to be taxed at ordinary income tax rates, whether it's in an IRA, as Teresa said, or a 401k. doesn't make any difference, but it's not taxed until you pull it out, not when Mm -hmm. you 
uh, roll it to an IRA if you chose to do that. So uh, not to get too complicated through getting all the particulars of this, but generally that is true. You would be potentially in a lower tax bracket if you used cash savings to supplement your retirement income as opposed to employment income. But the question would be, what happens when those savings are depleted? Yeah. Because they're they're not going to last forever. You Even if you save two years worth, great, that's fantastic. But what next? Right. That's why it's so important that you think about the different factors. So anything that you pull from your 401k, if it's all pre-tax, because some do offer Roth. Right. But if it is pre-tax, it's going to be taxable no matter when you take it out. And your yep. taxes are based on how much income you have in a given year. So you might be able to buy yourself sometime that first couple of years of lower taxation, but it's not going to sustain because you're going to have this taxable income later. Yeah. And if you're going to live on less income in retirement, then this might be a good way to phase out to Mm -hmm. that, right? To get out of that higher tax bracket. But if you're still planning on replacing your income and and living on what you made when you work, then you got to have a long-term strategy to Teresa's point because your cash savings are not going to bridge the gap for long. Uh, so you're going to have to have a plan to pull that out. And, on, on, you know, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get around the taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't avoid it. And no matter what anybody says to you on the air or otherwise, you can't avoid paying taxes on dollars that have not previously been taxed. What you can do to prepare uh, potentially and not and I'll be honest, not a lot of people take advantage of this, but you can do some Roth conversions, mm-hmm. uh, especially in those early years of retirement, if you're living on less income, it might be less tax to pay than it is when you're living on a higher income. And basically that's to take uh, your 401k, let's say you roll it over to an IRA or even potentially left it in the 401k to convert it if the option is there to a Roth, which it would be in a traditional IRA, and pay the tax dollars on the amount that you convert uh, in the year that you convert them. So you still have to pay the taxes. Again, not avoiding the taxes, but then you've set up a tax-free income stream in retirement. And we have software that will help uh, help you walk through that. We can come in and tell you if it makes sense for you on a tax basis. So that's an option. But a reason I say most people don't take advantage of it is because they have to have the out-of-pocket money. They yes. have to have some of that cash savings to pay that tax. Because when you do a Roth conversion, the provider does not pay the taxes on your behalf. Right. So that means if your your taxes were increased by three or 4000 or more, you have to have the money to be able to pay that in the year that you do that conversion. So it's really important that you plan for that. And you did talk about, um, John, in your question about rental income, about dividends. You know, there there are passive income options out there, rental income being one of those. But you still have to report that income and pay taxes on it. Right. It's just you might have some things you could write off to balance it out a little bit. Um, with dividends, if you have qualified dividends then they are taxed depending on your income level, but they're a little tax favored, whereas ordinary dividends are just based on income for the year. So, you know, it, just, it's a, it can get a little complicated. So what we mm-hmm. would say is it's more important that you have a strategy and a plan that helps you mitigate taxes, plan for taxes, not try to avoid them. Yeah, and is, is your plan to minimize the taxes and is that your priority? Then you can work with that being the lead. But in most cases, you're really looking, what you're looking for here is a specific monthly income, mm-hmm. something you can count on. Uh, and, and that really is, from all of these sources, John, I would say we can work a plan where you can have on paper, on purpose, a retirement income monthly. We can estimate the taxes. You'll see the net number when everything is considered. And you'll see that number get bigger on an annual basis. You'll get an annual raise. And that allows you to not really worry about it anymore, right? You mm-hmm. can see what's going to come to you uh, on a monthly basis. And that that has really been 
proven also through studies to make retirees feel better if they have a plan to take all of their assets, combine them together, and have a monthly income stream so that they can see that come to them. And I think I got to see this during COVID. There were a lot of people knowing what I do for a living that would say, oh, I bet your clients are just wearing you out. And I, I had to honestly say, no, they're not. Because their month-to-month income is covered. Mm-hmm. They're not really concerned with the fluctuations in the market because we have a strategy for handling that. And I think that's the difference. And what a lot of people are really looking for, John, is you're looking for a strategy to handle it. Mm-hmm. It's not avoidable, but if you can create a strategy that gives you a kind of a leg up from a just being able to plan ahead for it, then it's not as scary to pay those taxes. And John, I would finish by encouraging you to give us a call and anybody else that is wondering about taxes and retirement, how they're all going to work, all the pieces getting into a puzzle. You can give us a call uh, and set up a, an appointment or just a, a phone conversation with a Gen Wealth advisor by calling 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. And John, we like your question so much, we're going to name it the question of the week. Uh, we thank you for reaching out with that, and we're going to send you a free Get Ready for the Future Show Tumblr, as seen right here on our video screen if you're watching the video version. Uh, you just need to email us and let us know how to get it to you. Send the email to show at Get Ready for the future.com to claim that mug. Thanks, John. Got time, very little time, but we're going to get in <laughs> Marty's question from Boxite. If I plan on retiring from before my target date retirement fund year, should I change the fund or is it okay to keep it more aggressive if I plan on having three years of cash saved up when I get close to retiring? Well, Teresa, let's start with defining what a target date fund is. The way I like to describe it to people is think of your investment strategy as having a flight path. So as you start out, it's got a very low bond exposure, very high equity exposure, and then that shifts as it gets closer to the date on that. So if you have a target date fund that is less than 15 years out from today, then it's likely already started that shift. And it might be where you've got a lot more bond exposure than you expected or even need. Because even in retirement, we don't have typically a 60-40 blend necessarily. Right. Yeah. And important to point out, these are mostly in 401, well, always in 401ks, always. right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to see this uh, with use of what a financial advisor is going to develop for you. But the, it has made invest, investing easy uh, in the mm-hmm. 401k. It's an easy lever to pull and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But the, the problem I think for us is it may cause you to get too conservative too quickly. Yes. Uh, and so if you're retiring, I would even say an example might be if we have a client who's retiring in 2025, which is just less than two years away, right? We don't want all of their money uh, that they've saved for retirement in a 2025 fund because it's mm-hmm. going to be too conservative. You still have to have some growth aspect to it. And we would even say in that case, many times we'll consider the pot of money, the old money, what you've saved mm-hmm. and accumulated over time, that may need to be positioned one way, but your new money, we would always kind of want to be a little more aggressive with that. So maybe in a 2065 fund, even if you're retiring in a short time frame because of the dollar cost averaging uh, opportunity there, which mm-hmm. basically means as the volatility of the market drives stock prices down, you have an opportunity to buy at a, at a lower per share price, which in, when the market goes back up, if and when it does, uh, would enable you to own more shares and potentially have a better return. It's not a guaranteed to success, but it is a great opportunity when you're putting money in on a consistent basis. So we'd say that, but the other part of that too is I would say that you don't have to leave that money there. It is yes. not your only uh, option to put it into a, a click it and forget it retirement date. Uh, there is in many cases in employer plans an opportunity when you reach the age of 59 and a half to do what's called an in-service distribution. It is not going to be a taxable event. 
it could be a rollover to a traditional IRA. Now, it would be if you cashed it out, Mm -hmm. which you have access to as well without penalty, but you'd still owe the taxes on it after 59 and a half. Uh, But if you roll it over to an IRA and don't withdraw it, you could open the investment universe is what I like to say. Way more options. When we talked earlier about that retirement red zone, and when you hit 59 and a half, you're most likely in it. So being able to utilize that in-service distribution option means your your investments are, or your, excuse me, your employer plan is still active. You can add to it. You're still getting your match building up to retirement, but you can access the funds that are in there, move them over to traditional or Roth IRAs, and then basically get started funding your plan so it's ready and teed up when you go into retirement. Yeah. So the point there is, is it doesn't all have to rest on the options inside of your employer plan. But to Mm -hmm. answer your question specifically, it it could be that you might want some uh, in the target date fund for the retirement year you've chosen, but certainly not all. I wouldn't think, Mm -hmm. I can't think of a, a scenario where that would need to be the case. But the investment strategy should be more dynamic than, than just the the retirement date fund. Yes, I would just say look at what's in the fund because usually it'll show you what's in there. Pay attention to that and and be cautious of getting too conservative. Marty, thanks very much for your question. Thanks to John, thanks to Darlene, and thanks to Taylor. You hear the uh, final bell. That means it's time for our closing thoughts. Teresa, we'll start with you. I just, I would say everything is unique to you. So make sure that what whatever questions you have, if you're not getting good enough answers and if you're finding a lot of info but not a lot of wisdom, reach out to a financial advisor that can educate you and help you on your way. I'm going to bring you back in for my final thought because it involves the Conway office. So we do have an opportunity to learn more about estate planning coming up on November 7th. I'll let you tell them about it. Yes. So we are going to be uh, meeting November 7th at 630 at the Max event venue in Conway. You can go to getreadyforthefuture.com slash estate planning we have a state planning attorney, Chris Rippey, out of Conway coming in to answer all of your questions. I mean, if you think about how expensive it is to go to a lawyer, what we're doing is offering you an opportunity to get your, your answers for free and have an opportunity to really dig into what estate planning is and whether it is something you should consider for your family. We had a uh, question earlier from John kind of talking about taxation. Mm-hmm. That's another build into that, right? I mean, yes. I, would, I would encourage John and everybody else to work with not only a financial advisor and a CPA, but even an estate planning attorney when you talk about transferring those assets and your legacy. So again, that is coming up on November 7th at 630, the Max Event venue in Conway. Go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash estate planning to sign up. Again, it's a free event. We just Mm -hmm. ask you to let us know you're coming so we know how to plan ahead of time. And of course, space is limited as well. You can also text the word estate to 501 381-5228. That's 501-381-5228. So we hope that you'll uh, make plans to join us if you're in or near the Conway area for our estate planning workshop. Chris Rippey does a great job. He works with Mm -hmm. a lot of our clients, and we look forward to seeing you there. And that's all the time we have. For this week's Get Ready for the Future show, you haven't been in in a while, but does that go by fast or does that go by fast? It does. It always goes so fast. Yes, the Q&A, man. We roll with it, and we hope you'll get your question in to us Call or text it to us, 501-381-5228 to hear your questions on the air next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.